Hey guys, welcome back to Season 2 of the Asian Hustle Network Podcast, where we dive deep into stories of Asian entrepreneurs around the world. Be sure to check out our book, Uplifted, Journeys of Abundance, Community, and Identity, and check out our directory and marketplace at AsianHustleNetwork.com. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. If you like this podcast, don't forget to leave a five-star review. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network Podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Welcome to another episode on the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today we have Christy Kim. Christy Kim is the founder of Tomo Credit. Christy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Of course. Christy, please tell us more about yourself and your upbringing. Oh, yeah. So I'm originally from Seoul, South Korea. So my mom and dad, they're both entrepreneurs. They run small businesses in South Korea. So growing up, I always like saw my parents working so hard. But at the same time, they truly enjoyed what they were doing. So I would say it was a pretty good upbringing that I had a positive idea on like being your own boss and doing what you love. I like that a lot too. My parents are both entrepreneurs as well. And the funny thing is like, they always told me not to become an entrepreneur. They're like, it's too stressful. They think they used to think that I think really slow. They're like, you're not gonna be a good entrepreneur. You think too slow, you can't solve problems. I'm like, wow, thanks for the vote of confidence, my mom and dad. But how did your parents encourage you to become an entrepreneur and like, were they super supportive at the very beginning? Yeah, so my parents have interesting story. So my dad, he worked for a big UK company for many, many years. So he studied like chemical engineering in South Korea. And he quit his job when he was 32 or 33. And he didn't make, bring any money home for two years. So when I told my parents that, hey, I quit my job and I'm going to do a startup, my mom told me that, well, let's see if you do better than your dad. <laughs> so I think they had a really healthy mentality and didn't have a high expectation on me. That really helped. Yeah, I mean, that, that's definitely very supportive already, right? Not having that pressure on you. I think for most Asian parents, it's like that pressure is like, okay, like, can you make money on your own? Can you make it? Can you do it? That's their biggest concern, right? And the other thing, obviously, is your well-being. Like, are you mentally capable of handling the stress? And as we know, most entrepreneurs put on multiple different hats. How has transitioning from a full-time job to becoming your own boss, what's the process been like for you mentally, emotionally, uh, personally, as a person? Like, what goes through your mind from like day one to, to now? I see. So when I first started Tomo Credit, so by the way, Tomo Credit is a company that issues credit a product starting from credit card for people who do not have credit score. So all the immigrants, international students, or any young people in the U.S. who haven't had a chance to build credit yet. So for me, the idea was so personal to me because when I came to the U.S. when I was only 11 years old and my parents, as I said, were entrepreneurs, so they couldn't move here with me. So I kind of figured things out on my own and I went back and forth Korea and here a lot. And no one taught me about credit score or credit in general, even 
after finishing up college. So for me, I've learned about credit score in my mid-20s, and that was kind of too late. And I suffered so much because I didn't have a credit score. I couldn't get an auto loan. I couldn't rent an apartment in San Francisco. So the idea was very personal to me. So in the very beginning, I was actually fearless in a way that hey, someone has to do this. I suffer so much. And if mainstream financial institutions are not going to do it, someone has to do it. So I will give a shot. Yeah, I mean, I really like that that fearless mentality of jumping in both feet, knowing that there's a bigger cause behind it, right? There's a lot of international students that don't have credit that still need to move on with their lives. And that's really awesome that you created Tomo Credit to solve that need. And as you were creating Tomo Credit, how much planning ahead of time did you have with Tomo Credit before you actually quit your job and like start doing this full time, right? Was it more of a hybrid model where it's like you worked on Tomo Credit after work? Was it something where you just felt so convicted that you're just like, yeah, see you later, boss. I'm done with my job. <laughs> I'm just going to jump and do it full time. It was definitely hybrid in the beginning. It was not intentional that way. It just happened to be that way. So Right before starting Toma Credit, I got accepted to MBA program and I decided to go to UC Berkeley and MBA because I loved the school. I was already familiar and I was working at a venture fund in Hong Kong. They only invested in crypto, crypto native project, not even like crypto in like a, in, in equity funding. So for me at that time, I was actually really enjoying my job. I like the fact that they would like fly me like first class Hong Kong and San Francisco all the time and I get to stay at the hotel. It's like two weeks here in San Francisco, two weeks in Hong Kong and going back and forth. And my job was looking at companies in the US that the company should invest. So basically like sourcing deals and evaluating the deals. So I liked it a lot. I learned a lot, but I had this unfulfilled Part of me that was that it was not practical enough. So it was intellectually challenging and fun, but it's not really solving problems of today. So even though I fund this company, I invest in this company, I'm not going to see anything out of it in the next two years. So for me, that kind of bothered me a lot. So I thought that, well, there is a problem that is very, very acute for me. And there are so many people who with the same problem in the US not having a credit score. So why don't I solve this? That might be more meaningful to me personally. So I decided to do that, but I didn't quit the job right away. So maybe like two or three months of overlap that I would look for DeFi companies in crypto that are trying to do something with crypto to bypass the FICO system. So I specifically met them. I told my fund, my boss that, hey, I want to cover DeFi. And they let me cover because it's a good sector anyway. So I covered it and while working on the side on my specific idea with or without crypto companies to it. And when I felt ready, December 31st was my last day at a job in 2018. Yes. In 2019, January 1st, I went to the WeWork. I worked there. That was my day one, working on Tomo full-time. I love that. I love that story a lot, right? And it's one part of your story that really caught my attention too. It's, you know, most people think that being a VC venture capitalist is the end goal, right? That would make them extremely happy. But for you, you feel more fulfilled being an operator again or being an operator in general, right? And it 
really like that that comparison because I feel like nowadays you talk to a lot of young people. They're like, oh, I want to get venture capital. I want to invest. I want to do this and that. But I feel like most of your hard skills and passion comes from building. You know, it comes from being an operator. It comes from like solving a real problem. Because I personally feel that if you are a young person, you should definitely be an operator until you get to a stage where you know you don't have that much time to be an operator. So now you can become an investor, right? And now you have more insight and more compassion towards founders because you've been on quote unquote the harder dark side, right? Yeah, definitely. So I'm a I'm a runner, so I run like marathon. So I always tell people that. Yeah, like when you are finishing a marathon as a runner, you feel really satisfied and happy and fulfilled, and you learn so much about you through that 26.2 miles. That's like an entrepreneur and operator that you get to see it, and you know which part you are good at, you are bad at, and you know how to pace it. But when you are an investor, it's like you are a sponsor of that runner. You will, you know, just watch the investors be happy when the runner finishes the race. But it's like different type of learnings, and some people are better suited to be a cheerleader and sponsor. And some people they wanna be a runner on their own. So I think it's a different type of feelings. And when you are young, probably yeah, I agree with you. That's better to give a shot as a runner. And if you don't want the struggle, don't want the struggle and pain, then just switch, right? Yeah, one hundred percent. I wanna give you a lot of credit too for being a runner and being a marathon <laughs> runner. Twenty. 20- He's casually dropped that on us. You're like, oh, oh yeah, I just run 26 <laughs> miles, you know. Not, not, not every day. Not every day. So maybe like once a year thing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I just want to let listeners know, just casually dropped that on us. Like a lot of us, I think for myself, I can barely run like 34 miles right now. None, nonetheless, 26. So congratulations on that. It's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> of course. And I do want to shift the focus a bit and talk about you as a women founder, right? And as we know, the tech space has, you know, I think tech space can do a lot better with representation and invest it into women founder of color, especially. And I want to hear about your experience about being a women founder, going out to fundraise your seed round, your series A. Uh, what was that process like for you? How do you face any hurdles personally? And how did you overcome them? Yeah, so I get that question quite often. And it is it is unfortunate that no one has a clear answer to that, right? So I tell people that, hey, I just need to focus on the things that are within my control because there are so many things uh, that I cannot control, especially any stereotypes or misconceptions on minority female founder. Hey, what can I do? Like, I'm not their mom. I cannot fix them. So I will avoid them if I can. So I don't get that, you know, stress. But if I meet them, I just, you know, cruise uh, through and then just meet the next person. That's my mindset so far. And fortunately, the silver lining is that there are so many investors, right? And then in the very beginning, especially seed round, it is the most difficult. But after that, it gets easier. So if you are a female minority founder who are going through the seed round, just, you know, remind yourself that this is the hardest. After that, like trust, it gets easier because you have numbers to show, metrics to show. So you being you doesn't matter that much after a certain stage of the company. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really good advice too. It's actually kind of relieving to hear that the process does get easier. There's some founders that we have on the podcast and we hear their stories like 
no, it doesn't get any easier. It just continues <sighs> getting harder. <laughs> you know? so I'm really, I'm really glad to hear that the process has gone easy for you, easier for you at least. But again, like I feel like nothing in the business world is ever easy, right? And I personally think that I feel like you have grown a lot stronger through the process, so it feels easier. <laughs> that is possible. And also, if you think about it, like a seed round. Minority female founders or minorities in general, we have a higher bar to jump, and the fact that we did it, meaning that we already got filtered. So after that, of course, our numbers look better. <laughs> so for me, like okay, we already、uh, went through some filters and did the difficult part. So naturally, our numbers look good, and we put extra hours working into it. So I think that's why when you actually look at the data, funding diverse founders is actually beneficial for the fund because actually performance is better than the average. Yeah, 100% agree with that statement for sure. And as you're building Tomo Credit, let's talk about your founder's journey real quick, right? Let's talk about your day one to to now. What was the what was there some of your struggles that you faced building Tomo Credit in the early days? What are your struggles now? And what was the turning point for you where you felt like this can actually be a viable company? Turning point was the very first week that we launched the product. I still remember that because I was filming Shark Tank in July. That was 2020, and I was in Las Vegas. I had to quarantine within the in that room for like one week or two two weeks, and I was the Tomo Credit user number one. I got approved as a test user number one, and then we had real launch coming up, like official launch coming up. And then I remember like making the very first transaction in Las Vegas at the airport because I was filming in Vegas for Shark Tank, and then the transaction went through. I was so happy. <laughs> okay, this thing works. <laughs> the card works because we went. Through a multiple iterations of it, so that was kind of our final iteration, and it worked. I was so happy. And then when we launched, I came back to San Francisco. We launched, and we had more than twenty thousand people signing up the very first day. So we are like. Oh wait, we didn't do any marketing, and Shark Tank episode didn't even air. They never actually aired my episode. So for me, oh wow, the first week. Since launch, we have seen just so I mean so much traffic and attention organically coming. So that was kind of the feel. I got the feeling that okay, this is gonna work. Wow, twenty thousand signups within the first week. That is like for one day, the first well, day. Oh, the first day, dude. Yeah, that is, that is like a founder's dream come true. Like a like yeah. a really like even yeah even at the most optimistic point, that's like absurd for like a signup. So that's congratulations on that. Yeah, thank you. And then at that time, we didn't like prepare anything. We didn't do email outreach or social media. We didn't do any of it because I was actually scared. So I wanted to like do it slowly because first day you don't want things to break. But it was great that so many people came. And then actually later, I found out that the very first week, one or two YouTubers that I didn't even know existed at that time mentioned Tomo Credit. And that gave us extra boost. So I thank the YouTube community actually for help us have breakthrough success in the early days. <laughs> Congratulations! Yeah, that would be my strongest prediction. If it doesn't follow you, I'd be like, oh wow, like I had twenty thousand signups. We were product market fit. Most people stress about that, by the way. They're like, oh my god, I have one signup or two signups. I gotta hustle my way to get more. But I'm really happy to hear that success story early on. And I'm kind of curious too about you being the founder and CEO of Tomo Credit. 
right? What has been like some struggles with scaling the company from like yourself to other people? Because most founders, especially first-time founders, have the issue of delegation. If I delegate that, how would I ensure the quality will be the same? Or you get the quality back, you're like, no, 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 it's not what I'm thinking, right? So like, what has been some challenges for you scaling the company from just yourself to other people? Yeah. So the first part I struggled the most was asking for help. Actually, I don't know whether this is like my problem or it's Asian problem that we just want to do it on our own or fix it. And we just want the world to believe that we are perfect. <laughs> so when things are not good or when I have something that I'm struggling, I, by nature, I do not want to prematurely share with anyone. And so sometimes investors like, why didn't tell me this before? It's not a, you know, we could help. But for me, I would fix it myself and then tell them that, hey, this happened. I fixed it. Now we are good. So I was kind of waiting until it gets fixed and then tell them. And they are like, yeah, you know, we could help you. Like we could like help you with XYG. Totally just like, you know, let us know. So for me, I'm like, okay, you know, and they are like, yeah, you should use us. You know, I want to work for you, but you need to tell me what it is. So I was like, okay, you know, I will do better. And same thing internally related to delegation that I feel like I can do it within 30 minutes, but the, the other person has to spend three hours to do it because I have more information than he has. So he needs to ramp up and finish. Then I'm like, I will just do it. I will just sleep 30 minutes less and do it my, by myself. <laughs> so that only works up until a certain point. So now I practice more and more on delegating and knowing that even though that person spends three hours, it's worth it. So next time he can spend, you know, shorter amount. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think you just highlighted a lot of similar founder struggles, right? The delegation part, the sleeping less part. I'm definitely very guilty of that myself. <laughs> it's like, hmm, I can do this. But what you learn is like, the more you delegate, the more you're tapping into your team's fullest potential, right? Because you realize that every human being has a special skill set. You realize that everybody has a different opinion. And for you, for the company to continue to grow, you need to value those opinions, right? So 100% agree with everything you said. And I don't think we ever got a chance to really talk about yourself on the podcast. Right. We talked about, you know, your background, your, your upbringing, your, your relationship with your parents. But like, I want to hear more about Christy Kim. Right. Tell us about, tell us about how you, I mean, it's going to be a loaded question for you. Tell us about how you became the person you are. And I want to hear more about like your, like your personality as a child, your things that you value, your early parts of your career. What was your major back in college? Like, let's, let's cover those aspects too. I see. So I was always like outgoing, positive, I guess, type of person because my mom is super positive. Like she is the type of person who wakes up and like kind of like singing that's a good day kind of. So I'm <laughs> so and she's just very positive and always I feel always uh, the type of person like, oh, they smell the roses and they enjoy. Don't stress out. And when I was younger, let's say I stressed out about like test or something, my mom is like, it's fine, you know. 
、uh, you'll be fine. Or my dad would say something like, "Oh, you know, you are you are a woman. Just like getting married is most important. Who cares whether you get A plus or A minus?" But my parents are weird, right? <laughs> so so I would tell my dad that, "Hey, that makes no sense." And my dad is like, "Yeah, I think you are pretty enough. I think you are fine." So okay, KP out here is that my my parents they live in South Korea. So South Korea is still very, I would say, still like way more sexist. <laughs> <laughs> like the, in South quite Korea, the right word. <laughs> yeah, the right word, right? But for me, because I was exposed to that kind of culture early on, when I came to the U.S., I actually thought that it's way better here. So、uh, for here, I'm like, well, it's like way better. I love being in the U.S. And but now, you know, we all know that. U.S. is also not perfect. It's not, you know. But comparison is important. So compared to South Korea, U.S. was always better. So for me, when I first came here, I kind of soaked into everything, and I always try to look at the good things about this culture rather than, you know,、uh, looking at the bad side. And also that kind of helped me. Develop like thick skin as well. That because I was younger, my dad would say so many absurd things. Here, like say someone says something about me, I'm like, hey, I don't even care. <laughs> so I think in that sense, that's good. And now, whenever I talk to my parents, like my dad, now I think he's a big supporter of me and Toma Credit. So hey, people do change. So that's another positive angle that I see my dad being so conservative and sexist. And now, you know, he truly believes that you know I can reach my full potential. Potential, and then ask me like, oh, when are you gonna IPO? You know, when are you gonna like give me some money? <laughs> so for me, that has been a big transition, and I think that's really nice to watch. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, our listeners kind of know already, right? You have Asians and Asian culture. Obviously, there's different emphasis and values,、mm-hmm. right? So I'm I'm glad that he changed. I'm glad、yeah. he overcome that. So one sec, yeah, I'm kind of glad that he changed and overcome that. They have a different perspective now. Which is cool. I mean, the way that you describe your mom is basically how I am as a person. Like I'm just like you know, just not to be stressed about, <laughs> be positive, whatever, right? I think that mentality kind of goes a long way too, because as entrepreneurs, there's more bad days than good days, right? And sometimes you need to make your own good day. Yeah, definitely. So she is that type of person. So I'm. I I feel so lucky that she, you know I have her a positive attitude instilled in me a little bit. And she still runs her own company. She is in fashion design. So she, whenever I visit her in South Korea, I can see that she truly loves what she's doing, a creative type of work. So yeah, I really like to hear that a lot. And let's talk about the early part of your career. What was your major in college? What you do at the early part of your career before you became this amazing CEO and founder? So I was lucky. So at that time, to 2011, economy was not as good as like last year or before. So I was able to get a visa quite easily, and then I started working at this M&A firm. So for me. I just wanted to try everything and anything. That was like my mentality in the beginning. Because hey, this is a new country, and my parents are not here to give me any guidance. And when I was younger, I thought that I wanted to be a reporter, like working for CNN or something. And then I realized that my English is too bad. I'm not definitely not going to be qualified. <laughs> so for me, I'm like, okay. When I was in Korea, I thought that I wanted to be a like a anchor or reporter、uh, for for Korean and a Korean. 
Korean company. And then when I came here, I was saying it looks cool, but like no one's going to hire me. So I was like, okay, then what should I do? Maybe I should go to law school. And I took some law classes and realized that it's not not so great. So that's out. So I thought that I would try finance. So first job was good. And I met so many founders in my very first job as the as a young analyst. So if you're at a really big company like Goldman or Morgan Stanley, as an analyst, you don't get to do any sales. You don't experience the sales side. But because I was at a boutique M&A firm, I was able to do the sales side sales by myself. So sales side M&A, I got to meet so many founders and and investors. So that kind of gave me a glimpse of founder life and also investor life and got me thinking that what should I do? And I I thought that I will do the I will try the the investor part because the founders I was meeting at that time they are mainly like B2B software companies and I didn't feel like that was my passion so I was like okay then I will try the uh, inv- investment and I joined a BC firm and but ironically they wanted me to work with their one of their portfolio companies. So I tried that because again my mentality is hey like why not? I want to try everything and compare and I learned that I actually really enjoyed operation as well so for me my 20s was just being very open-minded and try different things and when I had the idea for Tomo credit there was no doubt that it was so clear that this is the idea I wanted and for me idea was more important than starting a company I meet so many founder, like wannabe people who are so focused on like starting a company. They're like, oh, I have a potential co-founder. I'm going to start a company, but I don't have an idea yet. So for me, that doesn't, that, that's just not how I operate <laughs> because I never thought about, I never thought that starting a company is my goal because I would be totally happy doing something else as well. So for me, when I had the idea and it was so, so clear and no one else was doing it and no one wanted to do it, so I was like, okay, then I would do this. Wow. Well, thank you for describing that, that journey, right? And for our listeners too, to, to hear this story, it's the biggest takeaway for me. It's like joining a, a company that allows you to experience a lot of different things because that allows you to ideate yourself, allows you to see what's possible, and most importantly, envision yourself in, in different key positions, right? And, you know, to see you eventually become the operator, I mean, that's that's invaluable to hear for, for our listeners. Yeah, definitely. So whenever I have like young graduate or college students like asking me advice, I tell them that, hey, your first job out of college, you are not going to be there for 10 years. So just choose a job that you think that you get you get to learn the most and or and have the exposure that you want. Because if I look back the first year out of college, I had amazing exposure because I got to meet so many founders and founders would normally not spend time with 20 something year old analysts. But because, you know, I was there to help their sales process, they would tell me everything, anything they regret that they're like, oh, I should have sold this earlier <laughs> or... <laughs> Or like all the inside, like inside baseball stuff. And also I hear from the investors that, oh yeah, this company, like we, we better sell it or we should wait for three more months like to see XYG. So I kind of get to see different players perspective. Okay. There's founders perspective, investors perspective and co- like a banker's perspective, try to like facilitate the deal. And that 
kind of gave me the full picture. So after that, I'm like, okay, what do I need to, what, what do I want to choose? That's so cool to, to hear that, that side. And, you know, it makes me really happy that every single experience helped shape the person that you are today. And it makes me happy to hear that, you know, there's probably less emphasis on monetary gains in your, in your younger years, but more emphasis on education and experience. And I 100% agree with that statement, right? I think that money will eventually come, but it's most important to find out that what are you good at? What do you like doing? And what doesn't feel like work to you? What gives you purpose, right? Those are the most important things, in my opinion, at least. And Chrissy, as we are nearing the end of the podcast, I have two more questions for you. So the first question is, what are your goals in the next three to five years? Where do you see yourself? And how do you see yourself in like 10 years from now? I'm kind of curious to hear about those visualization perspectives. And it gives our listeners an opportunity to hear about who you are as a person. And it gives them the whole point of this question is to have like, Give them a way to visualize themselves too. Like, where should I be in three years, five years, in comparison to like, where do you want to be in life? Okay. I want to be like Elon Musk for minority female. What do I mean by that? This is what I told my dad actually in May. (laughs) And my dad was laughing so hard. What I meant by that is, if you ask young guys in college or any guys in 20s, they all like idolize Elon Musk and think that they should build a company as well, right? Going to a Mars, all the cool things that boys dream about, he's doing it, like Tesla, right? So many companies. And who is the female version of that? I couldn't find anyone. Like, do girls idolize? I don't know, right? So I feel like for women and girls, we look at Kim Kardashian or other celebrities, but we don't have that figure in like tech. So for me, I thought that, well, if I do really well and achieve the mission of the company of helping people without credit score, that's amazing. And if I also get to build that image that, hey, like immigrant minority female can be super successful in tech, I think that can be really cool a message to to give to like younger, younger self of my, uh, like my younger self and young girls. So I like that. I like that goal a lot. You know, I love goals that are big. I love goals that are, are audacious. And most importantly, I like goals that are achievable. And I feel like those goals are achievable for you. But I can't wait to see where you're going to be in the next few years. Yeah, definitely. And I cannot believe that I said that in a podcast. So it's going to be in archive forever. So I need to, <laughs> I need to like work hard to get that, ha- make that happen. It's okay for you to say that, right? I think yeah. that most of the time people speak things into existence and that's a really important part of your growth process as well. So don't worry about it. We're going to continue following your process all along, but I absolutely have a lot of faith in you for sure. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, unfortunately, right now, the most famous female founder is Elizabeth Holmes. So we got to fix that. So that's why I was like, Elon Musk is a better example. Yes. Just uh, just make sure you don't lie your way to the top. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, Christy, how can our listeners find out more about you and Tomo Credit? Definitely check out our website, uh, tomocredit.com. And we have good social media presence on TikTok and Instagram. So follow us. Awesome. We'll include all that in the show notes. But Christy, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. 
Yeah, it was so fun. Thank you so much. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.